You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Before I get into um, the message today, cast your mind back to last week. Who was here last week? All right, so there's a few of you. Who picked up the error? Did anyone pick up on the error last week? I wish I could say it was intentional. (laughs) It was actually an error that was pointed out to me by my wife, as so often happens, husbands, doesn't it? Uh, On our way home last week. (laughs) Which one today? (laughs) The error. Last week I said that before Psalm 118 there were 584 chapters and after Psalm 118 there were 584 chapters. Add those two together and you get 1,188. That's right. It doesn't add up. That would be 1,168 because last time I checked 8 plus 8 equals... 16. So, where was the error? Was the error in the stats that I picked up off this site? Or was it me? It was me. What I did is I then went to the Bible. Here's a good place to start, isn't it? I went to the Bible and worked my way through, just at the end of Genesis, the end of Exodus. How many chapters? How many chapters? Excel is a wonderful tool. Add it all up, yes, 594 chapters before and after. So I went to my source where I got the information, transcription error. Whoops. There is actually a lesson in this. Did I suggest last week be a Berean? Check out what I say. Don't just take what I say at face value. Now, this is a really, really trivial example. I know, I get that. But it's a good one to use as an example. What's preached from the pulpit, you need to check out. You need to look up those biblical references. You need to make it yours. Because otherwise, these these are my opinions, and I believe inspired by God, but... For it to be yours, make it yours. Follow up. Do the readings. Do your research. Don't just, oh yeah, that was a good message. La, 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 la. Life goes on. So, if I can encourage you. And guess what? Same applies today. So, I encourage you. Be a Berean. Say again. Good. For those at home who didn't hear that one, the Bible is infallible, but we are not. And I'll be first in line agreeing with that, 100%. Okay, the mea culpa is done with. Today, today we're looking at uh, or continuing that God's story series that Joel has been leading us in all year. And Last week, yes, as Peter mentioned, we looked at the book of Psalms. 
which primarily addresses our relationship with God. This week, we're looking at the book of Proverbs, which primarily addresses our relationships with each other. And it is described by pastor and author Chuck Swindoll as Reliable Counsel for Right Living. What a great title. Reliable Counsel <clears throat> for Right Living. And I think it's uh, most appropriate because uh, I'm sure a number of you would recognise um, the parallel that exists there when Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, which we know from reading Matthew chapter 22, uh, Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and the second is like it, to love your neighbour as yourself. So how appropriate then in reading the book of Psalms we learn more about learning to love God and then in reading the book of Proverbs we learn more about learning to love each other. So that's my pretext. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I, I just submit this message to you today and I pray, Father, for ears to hear what you are saying to your church this morning. I pray, Lord, for your message to be received, for your, your thoughts, your insights, your understanding to be received in the manner that you want it to be by each individual who hears this message. So, Lord, I just submit it to you. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> the book of Proverbs. It is a part of what's known as the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And along with the books of Ecclesiastes and Job, they provide insight and guidance on how best to go about living this life. And they also help to provide perspective with the apparent randomness of life and also when life turns completely pear-shaped. And if you're not sure what that looks like, just have a read of the book of Job and you'll soon get a picture. But today we're concentrating on the book of Proverbs. However, I do strongly recommend you also spend some time reading both Ecclesiastes and Job. They are sincerely very well worth it. For now, Proverbs. Who wrote this book? Well, the first verse, curiously enough, really clarifies this for us. Proverbs 1.1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Well, that's pretty clear. No argument there at all. However, we also note that chapter 30 is attributed to a gentleman called Agur. Proverbs 30, verse 1. The sayings of Agur, son of Jakeh, an inspired utterance. This man's utterance to Ithiel, whoever those people are. But the sayings of Agur. And then chapter 31 is attributed to King Lemuel. Proverbs 31.1, the sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. What a wonderful tribute to his mother. What a beautiful tribute. Now, as far as I'm aware, we have no knowledge of Agur or King Lemuel outside of these references in this book. 
King Lemuel is not listed in the book of Kings or Chronicles as a king of either Israel or Judah, and so is assumed to be a non-Israelite. Some theologians have proposed that they could actually be aliases of Solomon, but I think it's fair to say that is pure speculation. What we can be confident in is that Solomon wrote chapters 1 to 29. And we know from reading 1 Kings how Solomon gained the wisdom for which he was renowned. I'll read this in 1 Kings chapter 3, starting at verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Wow, who'd like those sort of um, visitations from God? Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice. I'll do what you have asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart, so there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. And so it turned out. Solomon's reputation for wisdom certainly grew. We read in the next chapter of 1 Kings, 1 Kings 4, starting at verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezrahite, wiser than Heman, Kelkol and Dada, the sons of Mahol, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. That's not bad, 3,000 proverbs, of which the Holy Spirit obviously assembled a portion to be put into this book of proverbs. And his songs, 1,005, that's a pretty good output. I'm not sure how many Beethoven, how many pieces of work Beethoven put out, but... I don't think it was over a thousand. Uh, <laughs> when I was reading this, I must admit I did chuckle. Uh, wiser than Heman, Kalkol and Dada, the sons of Mahol. How'd you be going to a dinner party with these guys? So <laughs> it must have been sparkling conversation. You would not be bored. They were obviously very wise dudes. And uh, yeah, so the, the family of Mahol 
was well reputed. So, yeah, great place to go to, I'm sure, for a meal. All this talk about Proverbs. What is a proverb? What are they? Well, a proverb is a maxim or an adage. They are principles to live by, recommendations for living according to God's plans and purposes. And this is really important. They are principles. They are not rules. They are not promises. The proverbs imply probabilities, which means you're more likely to flourish if you follow what the proverb is suggesting than if you don't. Okay? Now, exceptions can always be found, and I think this is a pretty clear example. Proverbs 12, verse 21. No harm overtakes the righteous, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. Well, yeah, clearly sometimes the righteous experience tragedy. We know that. And clearly, sometimes it would seem the wicked seem to flourish. However, the principle still applies. And getting this balance um, and this rounded view of the scripture is really helped by reading those other two books of the wisdom literature of Ecclesiastes and Job. It really does help to fill in the blanks in many respects. British Old Testament scholar, the late Derek Kidner, summarised Proverbs as follows. It's not a portrait album or a book of manners. It offers a key to life. The samples of behaviour which it holds up to view are all assessed by one criteria, which could be summed up in the question, is this wisdom or folly? Is this wisdom or folly? What a great question for us to keep at the forefront of our minds as we navigate the ups and downs of this life. Is this wisdom or folly? Pop that one into your kit bag. And the purposes of these proverbs are clearly identified in the first chapter. Firstly, for gaining wisdom. Proverbs 1-2a says, for gaining wisdom and instruction. That's very clear. Secondly, for developing discernment. The second part of that verse says, for understanding words of insight. For developing that sense of understanding what is actually occurring there. Thirdly, for developing godliness in our walk. In verse 3, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair. So to really develop that godliness that in our walk, in our interaction with others. For provide, providing guidance and direction. Verse 4. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Now, who's simple? I think we can all claim that. We all don't know it all. None of us do. So there are areas where we all need that guidance, that direction. 
And fifthly, to develop lifelong habits of learning and growing. Verse 5. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Never stop learning. Never stop growing. Never stop reading your Bible. Never stop trying to gain deeper and deeper understanding of it. Listening to anointed messages. Reading anointed books. Life is about learning, growing and developing and deepening our relationship with God. As authors Bruce Wilkinson and Kenneth Bower put it, the book of Proverbs was designed to equip the reader in practical wisdom, discernment, discipline and discretion. These maxims emphasise the development of skill in all the details of life so that beauty and righteousness will replace foolishness and evil as one walks in dependence upon God. So how do we develop this wisdom? Well, continuing further in chapter 1. Chapter 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. It all starts with God. In knowing him, in honouring him, in learning from him. And not surprisingly, this reminds me of what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. It all starts with God. It all starts with God. And it also advises us to take heed of the input into our lives whether it be from parents or from other trusted sources, it doesn't mean you follow everything that they say, but it means you take it on board respectfully, you assess it, you evaluate it, and then you either apply it in full, in part, or not at all. Your choice. There is no limit or constraint on how much or in what context we can seek God for wisdom actually applies across the whole human experience and is as simple as asking God in faith. As it says in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. All we need to do is admit we need more wisdom in a particular area, just like Solomon. Remember that Solomon's interaction with God when he asked for wisdom? Go to God for help and then follow his leading. And aren't we all grateful that we can do so without any fear of God finding fault with us? He knows our faults anyway, let's be serious. He knows our faults anyway. But in him there is no condemnation. If you don't believe me, you better check out Romans chapter 8 verse 1. The subject matter of Proverbs is very broad. And some of the more repeated subjects would be around the wisdom of God. There's a lot on parenting, a lot of parenting guidance. Guarding our speech. There's a lot in there about guarding our speech. 
which obviously has direct impact in terms of managing our relationships, our, managing our, our wealth, stewarding our wealth. Yes, and as I said, managing our relationships, how we interact with others, and there are a host of other categories as well. I have heard it said in the past that they just cannot read Proverbs 31. That it, it, it's a real stumbling block to them. Because as a woman, it depicts something that is unachievable. Here's a couple of thoughts. When you read the Proverbs, don't get hung up on the gender being addressed. Don't get hung up on the gender. And here's a pretty clear example. Proverbs 1.10. My son, my son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Okay, stop and think. Do you really think this only applies to young men, to sons? Clearly not. You could interchange the pronouns and the men-women references and it would all be as equally as relevant. Let's just try it. Consider this. My daughter, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. My daughter, if sinful women entice you, do not give in to them. My son, if sinful women entice you, do not give in to them. The principle applies. Don't get hung up on the gender because these are universal principles that apply to us all. And the Proverbs are variously directed toward young men, men in general, and kings and rulers. However, if you read them thoughtfully, I think you will find they are relevant to all people. All people. Similarly, I believe the picture of the diligent wife as depicted in chapter 31, verses 10 to 31, can also be read as universally applicable. Can I give you a homework task? You know how I always like to give you something to do to follow up? A homework task. Well, I'll suggest it anyway. Scan through the Proverbs and pick out random verses. Play around with the gender references, male, female, whatever, and see if they still make sense. I think you'll find they will. And then go through Proverbs 31, 10 to 31, and do the same sort of thing. Be thoughtful around it. Have a think about how it could apply uh, when talking about the diligent husband as opposed to the diligent wife, which is what's depicted. So don't get hung up on the gender. Look to see how it might apply to you. One of the key themes throughout this God's story series has been the revelation of Jesus throughout all the books of the Bible. And the book of Proverbs is no different. Not at all. To understand how this is so, we can look at the New Testament with the Old Testament wisdom literature in mind. For example, Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 to 3, says this, 
My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ is found all wisdom and knowledge. As we grow in wisdom, we grow in Christ. As we grow in Christ, we grow in wisdom. Because Jesus is truth. You can check out John 14, verse 6. Wisdom and Jesus, they are indistinguishable. As Chuck Swindoll says, wisdom is incarnate in Christ. Consequently, a book that is devoted to wisdom is therefore devoted to Jesus because Jesus is the personification of wisdom. As an aside, I I recall reading a number of years ago a commentary about the Sermon on the Mount and it described that sermon as the most rational and precise statement of how to live a fulfilled life. Now that sounds like wisdom to me. Can I ask the welcome team to start handing out the elements, please, for communion? Thanks, guys. I'd like to read this um, passage from 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, starting at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Can I put to you today, if the message of the cross is foolishness to you, you need to get understanding. Your eternal future depends on it. To those of us who accept the work of Jesus where the cross is not foolishness, but it is salvation. Through his sacrifice on that cross, as his act of redemption to pay for the price for every person's sin, we joyfully celebrate that victory which was stamped done with his death and his resurrection. There is much we may not understand about it, 
but we trust God in it. Back to Proverbs. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. When we don't understand with our human minds, we trust in the one who has complete understanding. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the knowledge of you, for growing in depth of understanding of who you are, for all that you have done, for your sacrifice, for your taking the penalty of our sin to that cross, paying the price and allowing us to live in relationship with you and the Father. Lord, we we thank you for doing what we could not do, for making the way to the Father through you. So, Lord, there is much we may not understand about that whole process, but we trust in you. We trust that you are truth, that you have done what you have said you have done. So, Lord, we thank you, we honour you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat and drink together. Cups will be collected by these wonderful servants. So the book of Proverbs, I wholeheartedly recommend it to you. Interestingly, there are 31 chapters. Coming up next week, the month of August begins. There are 31 days in August. Here's a suggestion to you. During August, read a chapter a day. Just one chapter during the month of August. I'm sure you'll be blessed as you do so. But then don't just leave it there. There's the book of Ecclesiastes. There's the book of Job. Point with, um, well, both those books, particularly with Ecclesiastes, it can sound really depressing as you're going through it. Vanity of vanities, like a chasing after of the wind, What's this life all about? Don't give up. Keep going, keep going and keep going until you get to the end of Ecclesiastes and that's where it all comes together. That's where it all makes sense. Similarly with the book of Job. I find the book of Job really interesting and I I actually enjoy reading the book of Job trying to see where's the fallacy in the arguments of his friends? Where are they going wrong? Why is their advice so off track? What false assumptions are they making? Maybe that's just me, but I, I find that really interesting. But then when we get to when God actually comes on the scene and says, right out, Job, 
straighten up, stand up like a man and listen to what I've got to say. And then God tells him in very clear terms where he was throughout all of this that he was experiencing. These are really powerful parts of the scripture and I really, really encourage you to get into it. You'll learn lots through it. Let's pray as we close today. Dear Lord, we we thank you for this time that we've been able to spend today. We thank you for your love that is present and it's present with us at all times. Help us to grow in the appreciation and the knowledge and the, the understanding of your love and help us, Lord, to allow that love to flow in us and through us into every interaction that we have going forward from here. Lord, we thank you, we honour you, and we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.